Right on radio. Right on radio. And welcome back to Right on Radio. This is the podcast that tells you to live right in the real world. But what does that mean? We won't tell you how to live, but we will expose the real world. But today is a Tuesday broadcast, and we usually, for the last month or so, have been doing what we're starting to call Tuesdays with Tom. <laughs> but I had another suggestion that came from one of our listeners, Measy, and it said, no more Matrix Tuesdays. And I like that. Let's get rid of it because we are going in to the real script, the one that was prophetic, the one that has so much opposition because it's coming true in this time right now. And the way we're going to unpack it is we have a very special time because I've introduced Tom, but we're going to have someone else joining Tom as well. But before I bring them on, I must bring on her website is illuminatethedarkness.com. Visit Illuminate the Darkness and illuminate your mind. But she is ready for this particular episode because she is the emissary to the immortals. And her name is Jessie Zaboder. That, that, that was quite the intro. <laughs> People are starting to collect these title names now. You know, I'm going to end up like getting this like <laughs> badge or shirt with all these <laughs> You'll get a title names. <laughs> um, but now let's bring on Tom Longhouse, the writer of The Immortals, and as a special treat, because this is right before Christmas, I've asked his manager, Angela, to join as well. Welcome to the program, Angela, and great to see you again, Tom. Thank Thanks, you for Jeff. having us. Great to be here. Okay, so we had sent a couple tweets, I guess, back and forth discussing a format, and I said, hey, it's a couple days before Christmas. Let's keep it light. And really, I wanted to tie in because, you know, you have a Christ-like figure, and Christ, obviously, in Christmas, we celebrate the birth, even though it's probably not the date, but there's still a spirit of Christ in the air. And Christ became the first God-man, which gave us the ability to become immortals. And I thought, what a great tie-in. But the last broadcast we did, Tom, you talked about a part that was in the movie, and I want to compare it to the script because there was something really important going on about that. And that's the part in, in the movie, at least, and I want to get your comparison to the, the original script. But there's these pods, and people are being used to fuel as basically batteries for the matrix. So just explain that and, and where it comes from in your script. Okay. Well, in the beginning, you start to see these pods uh, in the beginning of the immortals in the matrix. Um, again, every image they think is cool is being lifted and then they simplify it often. The idea, if you remember from the matrix of the pods, uh, you have Morpheus holding up a battery. Well, that's a slap in the face joke they're doing. You know, they're treating audiences as dumb but it's about battery power for them. That's their, as they lift the images they think are cool, they have to spin it into something that makes sense in the world they're spinning. So they make it about battery power. Of course, in ours, the field of pods is the architect bringing back his top 100 on test subjects that match them physically. 
to bring them safely back into our time when they have the program ready to go, the immortal program. That's the program that brings a one world society together, offering immortality on earth to different dignitaries or families across the globe if they join a one world society program, an immortal program. Which is, so, which is what's happening. And that's the lie that some of these elites are believing right now. Look, they've documented their plans. And their plans is to get the, this world down to about 500 million people, mm-hmm. right? That, and so, you know, and they're believing that they're, they're going to be part of that program, but they're going to be the first to eat each other. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesse, so talk about the parallels with the real world and what this symbolism means comparing the two things. Yeah, um, well, that is their agenda is to... Um, you know, they call themselves the elite and they do believe that they are um, specially bred and have, we'll just say, godlike powers. Um, some of that goes back to, you know, the book of Genesis where you had um, the angels breeding with the women of men and you ended up with the Nephilim who were, you know, half angel, half human. They had extra special gifts, you know, strength. Um, there were some different characteristics. So, you know, they had power strength and were able to uh, do things that, you know, not every human can do. So these people, you know, do believe that they are gods. And, um, you know, I've seen the past couple of years, there's been a lot coming out about, you know, they'll call themselves the Titans or the Olympians. It's all kind of that same theme. Um, and and I agree, they, you know, they have been through the breeder programs, the um, different testing genetically that they've done on, on children or... And, even- and, and Jesse, I just want to touch on that because that parallels with the, with the pods, the people being the, the batteries. So, right. you know, how, how does like these breeder programs and, you know, quite honestly, we can call it abortions and things like that. Yeah. It's feeding the energy of the other side. Does that make sense? Does it draw a parallel? Yeah, it does. Um, You know, in several ways, they, um, with the breeder programs, first they um, breed children for sacrifice. So they will specifically, you know, impregnate girls during one of the, you know, either the spring or the winter equinox so that they're ready to deliver for the next big, ritual equinox um and so they've got this never-ending supply of sacrifices um you know so it does and then and how- it does it affect their energy level though like it does it make them stronger when there's more of this going on you know well, how they get the energy is usually through collecting the adrenochrome or the steroids out of the pineal gland um so they'll they collect mass amounts of that and it's the fear that they cause before the death, the fight flight syndrome that makes the adrenal glands mass produce. And then, you know, we've talked kind of about the, the vampirism that they do consume that blood, which then, um, you know, that gives them that adreno high um, naturally. Um, they also and, procure and, and heart. The effect is they're supposed to look, young it, it right as well but they procure and harvest it too so not all you know not all of the harvesting is done live 
or at rituals. Um, so part of these breeder programs, you know, like the ones that were over in China and other areas, you know, um, like I've talked about on some of my shows, one of the warehouses that I saw at one of the dumb bases, they had like rows and rows of elderly people in what looked like airplane chairs, you know, just like rows and rows. And they were hooked up to what looked like type of, you know, dialysis type machines. And they were so weak that, you know, they couldn't fight or do anything. And they literally were draining these people of all their blood, but they would, you know, it wasn't like something where it was just a one-time deal. They would just drain enough to keep them constantly weak and unable to fight. And these people could be there for, you know, for months, years. Um, as long as they last. Right. As long as they last. So, um, yeah. So, and then, you know, the, some of those children that are bred through those breeder programs are not given for sacrifice you know, they may decide to use that child. Um, they may put that child in with the underground, the, you know, they've got that huge underground network. So some of the people are literally born and never leave the underground. Um, they've lived down there their entire lives. Um, they're, you know, pretty much workers or servants for whatever purposes the system has down there. It could be mining, it could be you know, digging, it could be doing all sorts of stuff. Um, so, you know, those people also, they have to survive that, well, they don't, you know, they're not going to bring fruits, vegetables, or healthy food. Uh, most of those people are made to either consume, you know, others that have not lived or, you know, they're fed remains, things like that. That's what they, they've lived on their entire life. So, okay. So that's where so, it comes parallels a little bit but. yeah I, i'd say more than a little bit and and by the way yes this is the pre-christmas edition of right on radio where we <laughs> keep it happy and fluffy all the time so back to tom and angela so tom this is what the people who believe they're the immortals uh in the real world are doing right now tie us back in with your script well i was going to say too um, what frustrates them most, what makes them feel weak and not godlike, what causes them to call and say, you have the power, um, they fear your power, um, you've won the chess game, is being compassionate, loving, smarter than them. And really the real testing ground comes through the work. Can you create work that captivates audiences? Can you create work that lifts to a higher plane and higher level thinking? Can you create something we've never seen before? So they've laid out the game field and the playing field, and we can beat them on that field so easy when our creator is giving us what to put down. And right. they go nuts. They don't, that's why they're begging. What You have 14 others. We need to see it. I said, I'm not going to show you. I said, if anything happens to Aiden and you take out my last one, you're telling me that uh, he's alive because you know I'm concerned for his safety, then if you touch him and hurt him, these 14 disappear. They couldn't stand it. That's what they wanted most. So being powerful in their deluded way of thinking they're gods on this earth, which they want to believe that, they really have nothing. They can't write. They can't, they can't create great material. They can't. That's proven. So they're not feeling so godlike now. So what they do, they try to buy us off. They try to put us in position, give us offers. It's driving them nuts. That's why they're in a panic 
because they leave the, they lose their cohesiveness. Their glue doesn't hold together when their parties that are all out for themselves and powers anyway mm. uh, are looking to us saying we're real fans of yours. When I get approached by somebody from the CIA, such as Lauren Holmberg on Maui, we talked about, right, with his gifts and everything. We're fascinated by your story. He's telling me, I'm, you know, you're amazing. What you've done is so incredible. I'm, you know, it blows my mind. What they're doing is we have this magnet draw that the creator has given us that is pulling them and pulling their whole network apart because they can't create what we create. But all we're doing is just doing a humble heart activity, a service to humanity and to God. We're just creating what we're given to write and put down. I'm just as fascinated as it flows as the next guy or the next woman, you know? And so we're also upsetting their system. Angela's here, my manager. I'm standing next to a beautiful woman who's my manager. Um, you and two together. It's just, it's what we're showing them is, no, we're not going to buy in your system about being godlike in powers where we subservient everybody. We're going to work as a team. We have a cohesion. We have a grouping brought together by faith, courage, compassion, empathy. You guys, if you believe only in power out there, then you've lost the stuff that really makes life exciting. You've lost the stuff that makes creating possible. You lost the stuff that makes circles come together that actually makes it um, something you want to enjoy and share and thrill to. The real power, is, if they want to have a lesson right now, is about doing good, lifting others. And that's throughout the screenplay too. And it's illustrated. They have to strip that apart in order to make that into some kind of lie or deluded thinking. But it's not. It's actually the real power. Mm. Yeah. Well, you hit, as you were saying that, um, you know, I kept thinking, you know, it's, it's a test of our faith. And the one thing that they're unwilling to do is whatever they're entrusted with, you know, they have to twist, they have to corrupt, they have to make evil. But when God entrusted us with things, we laid those things back at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet mm -hmm. and surrendered it back to the Lord, yielding it to him saying, you know, not our will, but yours be done. And, you know, really his desire is that nobody should perish. You know, he doesn't want that evil, that wickedness. And, you know, they, they can't foresee the hand of God. All that they know, they've got God's playbook, the Bible, like we do. And there's things that are, you know, clearly outlined in that. But there's, you know, in the book of Revelations, even, you know, it, it talks about the little black book. And I think that's around Revelations 10. And the Lord says, seal up the prophecies. You know, these are for another time. They should, you know, they shall not be revealed right now. So there's portions they don't know. That's right. So they have to come to us because they <laughs> to know the playbook. They want to be able to come against the Lord you know, and fight against him, but they can't, they don't know. No. And, I, and I think I, that's why they are so obsessed with you, Tom. Mm -hmm. They have, they don't have the answers. They have to come to you. You're right. That's why they put all those inserts in the first graphic and put the clock with the birthday on it. And now they're putting like in man in the high castle, the birthday backwards, you know, on the clock because they don't have control. You're absolutely right. You look at their system and I've been in their circles. And what happens is they're all about being, as you said, like a God. And so what they do is they always try to up each other, even in their bonding processes, which is humor and things like that. They're putting each other down. They're trying to up each other. That's the game they play in 
refer to it like as bonding. It's not. They're trying to up each other all the time. It's like spoiled, rotten adolescence in a, in a room trying to be the best. And you're never going to have this cohesion, never going to have this uniting. And um, that goes on. Then what they do is they pick others outside them and try to make their weak. Uh, they'll do it to women in their minds, things like this. And they'll try to have a, a group they can uh, terrorize or put down in order to feel godlike themselves as a group. And that's their way to feel godlike um, as a collective. But it's not going to work either. And especially if they're drawn to their targets, as you said. And so I feel like my calling, in a sense, was to be something that drew them, both the men and women of their their. Uh, their groupings and it's it's happened where they'll confess things in in one-on-one where they go like i'm i'm really drawn to you i really i really love your work it's really fascinating lauren holmberg does it both sexes do it and it's really fascinating that we can draw them so in essence what's translated is or is happening is they have been giving offers to bring them in where we get the finest house like angela's been offered this too the finest house that you know you can change the curtains if you don't like it we'll set you up with bodyguards so they're trying to bring us in as almost an anomaly, uh, something that's unique and a curiosity. So we'll have a pure guy and a pure woman. and we'll You'll be a star. Yeah. You won't want to give it up. Yeah, fascination. We'll, sit, we'll keep one of them as a zoo pet. Mm. But you know what? It, it's, it's fascinating when I'm thinking about your story and as you're talking about that, Tom, you know, how, how you first went to CBN and you're, you're gifted and you're likely to go up and this is a religious organization. I don't say Christian, I say religious, uh, advisedly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then they start to introduce the sexual iniquities in, in that. And, and it's almost like they're training you in this religious thing so they can harness your gifts, but but completely control you, uh, you know, and and use you for your purposes. Because once you, you know, if you had indulged in some of that uh, homosexual stuff that they were, you know, someone was going to be filming that. You know, some like they right. were going to be able to use this, and you know, and it starts off innocent with just another guy or whatever. But then you know, the guys would get younger. And that's the way this whole system works. But they, it's almost like they had their finger on you from a young age. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you. I've, I've wrestled with that idea thinking, is that true? Is it not true? Did they spot me early on? And yes, I realize now in schools, certain schools, things like this, they spot aptitudes. They have gifted programs that you are noted. The state takes interest in that. It's like, what are our assets? Which ones can rise? And that's kind of in the immortals too, the idea of the, uh, if you merit the merit program, you'll move into the program. You'll be in the immortal program. But it's not based on merit. It's based on your draw, how much, uh, if you're attractive, if you're considered useful uh, to their desires, basically supersedes um, your worth as intellectual. But it's like, yes, I think I was spotted at an early age. And it was like, um, Offers were coming early on. I had people approaching me that were like from IBM, um, from uh, FBI, CIA. I had a card I carried from the FBI that said, extend every courtesy to this man. You know, this young man. I was very young. But it's like, you know, so yeah, I think they, it's interesting because there was this um, uh, district attorney or something uh, named Magic. He was an African-American man, a delightful man. And his name was Magic. He took an interest in me and said, you know, you're going to move up, things like that at a young age. So yeah, I believe you're right. We are we are singled out as under the guise of assets under that kind of banner or tagging. Jesse, can you speak to that at all? Is there some targeting that goes on in the in those circles? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what I experienced, they, they started um, testing us at age four and a half and they would do things like, you know, we um, were in our kindergarten room or preschool room and they'd put us in a circle and um, the mothers came in and they would, they put about 20 different objects in the middle of the circle and told us we were going to play a fun game. And um, you had objects like a feather, a candle. Um, I was trying to, you know, just different things like a gold cup, things like that. They were all ritual items or like there was a tarot card, things like that. And so anyway, they had to, um, you know, told us that the whole game was that we, we'd each get a turn and we had to go and pick an object, but then we had to put it right back down and go sit back down. And that was the whole game. So imagine 20, you know, kids all four and a half and you have to sit there and you're waiting, waiting. You just get to go pick up an object and then you're putting it back down again. Well, what so, they so that doesn't sound very fun, but I want to ask you a very specific question, Jesse. Are like you were kind of brought in because of your family, because of your blood and stuff like that. What about the other kids? Are are they just evaluating regular kids that are part of that circle as well? Yeah, well, they're they're evaluating for what types of elemental magic are you drawn to naturally. So sometimes they'll use things like the Pokemon Go games, a lot of the new um, th programs that they put on the tablets that they're giving children. Um, it will it will show them what type of magical creatures and, you know, they'll use a lot of fairy tales, things like that. So what how do you think Tom would have got noticed from through, through those, from those circles? How do you think Tom would have been brought into this? Well, well, first, um, I guess if we go even farther back, they do blood tests on children uh, from the time they're born. So they prick your foot and, you know, look at your DNA code and see what um, genetic gifts, spiritual gifts you have or are in oh, or capable of. Right. And then they're going to start to test and develop those gifts. They're going to suppress the ones that they don't want to come out. And they're going to develop and hone the ones that they do to groom you for the position they want to put you in. If you happen to get all recessive gifts you know everybody has the spiritual gifts so i guess i'll put it this way there are people who have very high spiritual gifts but the system decides for whatever reason whether it's you know maybe that child's a fighter um it's too much of a hassle to try to um mind control or uh try to groom that child you know then they're going to suppress that child's gifts you know that child may experience things in the spirit world and they'll say, Oh, you just have an over, you know, interactive imagination or you're crazy, you're bipolar, but, you're schizophrenic and they'll put them on meds to suppress. So, so this is fascinating though, because that's something I hadn't considered, but you're right. They, they, they take blood tests and stuff like that, right? When the baby's born uh, now, and then they, then they give the whole birth certificate thing, which we've done a different show on. But now, Tom, having said that, they might have had their eye on you from birth um, because of your genetic code, your DNA, or, you know, your the possible gifts that you might have had in your sequencing. So having heard this bit of the conversation, 
if you look back at even your childhood, your adolescence, is, is anything starting to be pulling out here? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My grandfather was a Mason and uh, he wanted the ring to go to the, you know, next eldest son that or grandson or whatever that would follow the line. And it was like, I remember um, being able to do things where teachers even noticed where I could mentally do somersaults. I mean, I could sit in a chair and feel somersaults in my mind. And I was always educating my mind to do things. And I saw something recently where teachers will note those that um, have gifts gifted usually will start to isolate themselves. They don't interact in groups much. They usually go off and, and we're so fascinated by what we can do and the world we can create and what we can do that we get bored in circles. We want to go off and the world's so expansive. It makes me think what uh, their planet expert witness said, you know, um, Tom Mulhouse created this fantastic world that audiences are now immersed in. Another lady had called me and said, Tom, what you created was a world where uh, people are drawn to. You tried to create a world where you fit in. And so through what channeled through you, you created a world where you fit and now everybody's joining that world and it's part of their psyche. So it's really interesting that apparently that's what they're talking about, the power. It just hit me. That's what they mean by the power. But early on, yes, it was like um, people would notice me all the time. And uh, this one lady in the grocery store took my hand and fought with my dad saying, this is my child. This isn't yours. I'm like, I wanted to go with her because she seemed like she had a multi-layered presence about her where my dad was so one-dimensional. And, you know, I didn't like my siblings weren't kind at all. They would beat me up. So it was like, I wanted to be taken away. And I remember that people would notice me all the time. Like these people would come up if I was in church or something, a person would turn around and go, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You know, I can't stop looking at your eyes or something like this. And so I knew I was different. I stood out. But that made me become more distant from other people. I started to immerse in nature. I would sing to birds. I would talk to animals and they would come up. I'm not kidding you. Like deer would come up. Um, a bird would land on my shoulder. I'd have a rabbit come to me. I could take a squirrel and talk to it. It would come up. It was like being Snow White or something. It was really weird. But that, you know, it was pointed out to me. Um, if there was a blue herring at Colonial Williamsburg that was wounded, there's people everywhere. It came up to me and laid it he its head on my right thigh as I was standing. And I, people were taking pictures then of this. And I'm like, please don't, you're startling it. And I, I had somebody say, call security to take care of this bird. And it did have a wounded wing. When I was at the Grand Canyon, I was out um, looking, I wanted to be alone. So I went to Grand Canyon um, with a group, but then we went alone. And these three mule deer came out of the woods and surrounded me. And they, I still feel the greasy fearing fur they have. It's like a grease, slicky fur. And I still can feel touching it. And they were, again, one against the right thigh, looking out as if a trust around me. And then these tourists showed up with their cameras and they bolted. So it's like, I think animals can see that, you know, you do have a heart. But that takes discipline. That takes something nurturing. That heart, that compassion, that empathy, like some of my best friends would joke that I was St. Thomas. But the thing is that, you know, it's like that is a power the other side doesn't understand. But if you have that, then kids respond the same way. Kids would do that. Kids would take my hands, you know, you'll be my daddy, you know, and, and just come up and want to be around. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I so relate to creating my own world. And so what you said is, kind of, you know, don't do well in crowds uh, unless I'm in control of the crowd, which I'd actually made a living from doing for a long time. Right. right. But so now I want to bring in Angela because this is going to be an interesting perspective.
being his manager, you guys are obviously, you know, in business, you're spending a lot of time together. That can't be easy with Tom. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> no, I agree. So tell, tell us a little bit about the interactions and some of the things that you see go on uh, in the time you spend with him. Okay. Um, I do see a lot of nature and, um, you know, the animals responding. We, we have a lot of things where we have insects that come and just kind of sort of hover around and um, animals from the neighborhood come to us and are drawn to, you know, the area. Um, um, and what about with, with people? around how, how how are the interactions when you i'm asking you as a witness because you're around tom in the flesh right yes so, we definitely have people around us that are just comfortable very drawn very drawn to tom they'll just come up and talk to him feel very comfortable just sharing things so even even a stranger they would open up really quickly to tom yes yes Definitely in, in the store, in restaurants, anywhere that we go, people are just very comfortable sharing things. Just very, they'll just lay, lay it all bare easily. Mm. Definitely sense the, um, that he's easy to talk to, very easy to talk to, very easy to share things with. But that's, that's a bit unusual for someone with such a high intellect. What, what do you think it is about him? Um, I think they just, I think it's the transparency, being a very transparent person. People respond to that and they just, they really want to share. So I think that most people repress things that they want to share. They repress things that they'd like to say, things that they're feeling. And then somebody comes along and they're like, it's like, oh, I can talk. <laughs> Let me just tell you everything. And it's a safe spot, right? Yeah, they feel safe. All right, so now this brings us back around to Jesse. Jesse, what, what do you see in, the, in these giftings and that, that, uh, that Angela's describing and, and what we've been getting to know about Tom? Um, well, the office of a prophet um, is, is first and foremost where you're a messenger for God. But with that... Um, you know, you're somebody who dwells in the presence of God. People feel that. And you're not like other people where, you know, you're prideful or, or selfish and keeping it all to yourself. You're very, you know, the time I've known you, you're very vulnerable, open. And, you know, I, I've been through seminary schools and, you know, had professors that could get up there, they could give all these theological discussions on who is God, you know, what is it's his work in our life supposed to look like, and they've lost the audience, nobody really wants to listen. But you get up there, and you start sharing, and you're sharing how God literally is interacting in your life, the things that he's doing, the things that he's giving to you, you, you know, your time with him, what it's like experiencing the visions or experiencing the word from God that he's directly feeding you. And that's what draws people. They're like, I want that experience with God. And that's very powerful. Not very many people are willing to share that, that most intimate part of their lives, 
you know, they're, they're it's like you're letting them into your prayer closet and you're not withholding anything. You're just opening the door saying, come see, here's my time with the Lord. Come and enter the inner circle with me and the Lord. Mm-hmm. And people see that and they're very drawn to that. And uh, uh, so see, now we're getting Christmassy. <laughs> this is working out. We've never, listen, we don't plan this out for the audience. <laughs> you know, we kind of have a general direction. We speak for about two minutes before we go on and that's about it. So, so now Tom, I'm going to use the, uh, what every other interviewer does. And I hate when they do it, but I think it's appropriate at this time. How does this make you feel? Um, <laughs> a responsibility. And I feel responsible to see this through and to do it right and to let people know there's a better way to be. And um, if they're true, what people are saying, even the other side about creating a world that I can fit in, then there's a whole remnant that fits in that world. And that remnant probably feels the same way, has the gifts, has the heart, and that defeats Hollywood. It defeats Satan, it defeats the evil side. And, and, the, and by the way, the remnant, I believe, defeats the church. Yes, the institution that's been set up to control the population, state-run. And, right. And I, I, you know, I noticed that many Christian males would come up to me and they would, as Angela said, they'd start being, you know, opening up. And a lot of people are surprised. They say, they often, I often hear, you know, I've never said this to anybody, you know. And, and so here they come up and they'll often say to me that, um, it kills me. Everything that a man does, they'll tell me, is based on sex and wanting sex. And I'm like going like, are you freaking kidding me? That's what drives you. That's what moves your engine. That's what makes you create. Then first of all, if that's true, as Christian men, what, then everything you're creating is, is to have sex, not to lift a world. Everything you're creating isn't for the creator. It's to give glory to yourself or to satisfy some simple urge to get your heart rate up. Now, in fairness, between 17 and 20 years old, I think most males are going to fit into that category. Yes, but there can be the um, real drive of compassion and empathy. It it doesn't need to be displaced, you know. And as like Angela, my manager, can show too, it's like my whole life, because of that orientation, that thinking, I've had um, a situation where women would come in groups. It drives men crazy, especially Christian males, where I was at the Virginia Shakespeare Festival and people that knew me there would know this, that I would come back to my apartment, the housing they provided, and there'd be these, all these women actresses there that want to have a sleepover. And it's like, they, and this guy comes in and goes like, what are you doing? Why are you being with him? And they're like, because he's nice. So our whole society has been so askewed because this idea has taken hold of the locker room of that, yeah, it's all about sex and Christian circles too. Well, that needs to be changed up where it should be all about the kids. It should be all about um, creator. It should be all about lifting each other. I can't look you in the eye, Jeff, and say, I'm there for you, Jeff, as a great friend. I'm there for you to change this world. And say to you then, Jeff, actually, I'm thinking about wanting sex with the people around me that are women. That disrespects them. And it doesn't give us any kind of bridge, really. That's the other side. And then laugh. They'll say, oh, you must be homosexual. I'm like, no. And my manager can tell you the drive I have, she sees me interact, is about lifting the people. You know? And so there's a great opportunity here to change our world where we can evolve to a higher level where, yes, 
sex in its place can be a very great thing, of course, pleasurable, all that stuff, but it can't be what drives our engine. No, it, it can't, can't be what drives our advancement. Otherwise, we're going to end up a Stone Age world. You know what? I have a really important thing I wanted to say uh, on that topic, and this is just a message for the listening audience. It's something I figured out years ago. Uh, maybe someone told, taught me it. I'm not sure, but I, I know I figured it out. But I, I too, like women tend to think I'm a safe person to come towards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, and listen, guys do think about sex. It's part of life. Uh, we're wired that way. And that's how the world keeps going. But what happens is, and when, why some guys repel women is because women can really, and Angela and Jesse can speak to this. They can sense mm -hmm. if you're undressing them with their eye, with your eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, women can sense it and they get creeped out. And, you know, a guy, if you find a woman attractive or whatever, what I've always said, and this is a message to you, men, you're not responsible for the first look. You're responsible for the second look. And so that first look could be, okay, stop that. And now I'm past it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, because, you know, you can't turn off some of your instincts, but you have to be able to turn that off because I think, I think you're really violating someone when you look at them and you're just lusting well part of my spiritual training when i was going through that thing where i felt lifted and everything else about controlling the mind and thoughts in the mind was part of that and i actually learned and was taught not to have the drive and it's like it was all about save the kids angela hears me talk about this all the time save the children the children we got to do this we got to finish this we got to make this work and so it's like this mindset of always i i don't get the urges i don't it's like there's a job to be done and it's like a burning building. I've got to save the people in the burning building. I'm not interested in stopping and jumping in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. I want to get everything done and save them. And so what's happening is I think like sort of anomaly, like Neo in the script, I have to be this way in order to solve the problem. Men need to see that, yeah, there's a guy that can function without that thinking. He's not gay. You know, he's actually thinking this way because something matters more to him. Well, yeah. I love the analogy of a burning building and running in. You're not thinking about the other thing. I'm not at any time. Right. Because to me, it is a burning building. This world is at right at this point in history. So there is no. So for the guys out there, especially the Christian males that say, this is what guys No, I'm not working for to get sex. I'm not working for to get laid later, as they say. I'm looking for to do the job and get it done. My creator says, well done. And that people on this planet and the children are safe and freed from cages. That's why I'm doing it. Amen. Amen. And when we talk about the kids in cages and stuff like that, again, uh, this is a real situation. I, and we're not talking about the ones on the border that get separated because, you right. know, honestly, Thank you. right. That's, Thank you. that's little, that's little stuff. Uh, Jesse has seen these kids in, in person. And Jesse, without going too far off the immortal story, can you just say what this whole thing is about? The cages or about? Yeah, listen, the, the, we'll, we'll say kids in cages loosely. Um, that obviously, you know, there's a lot of different situations. We, we've talked about them in the tunnels. We've talked about uh, all kinds of different things. But you, maybe just tell the scope of how many there is and what you've seen with your own eyes. Yeah, I, I estimate, you know, I saw hundreds of thousands of them. Um, you know, I've explained, I've seen over a thousand deaths a month just by 
one hand of one person in the system. So that didn't include all the other people at Ritual. But basically, the kids in the cages are their their asset, their income. Um, those are the kids that are going to um, be gathered or kidnapped. Um, they're going to be held captive. Usually, you know, they start abducting like a week or two before the grand high climax each month. And then those kids will be held until the time of the grand high climax where then there will be mass rituals, murder, um, child trafficking, things like that. And, and one of the ways that they do this and one of the greatest sources, by the way, when, you know, one, one of the things why everyone hates Trump in the military industrial complex and, and in politics is because, first of all, kids are worth more money than selling drugs. That's right. The other thing is, whenever they do any of these little wars, when America goes in to be the policeman for the world, well, guess how many people get displaced? How many people do you think were displaced out of Syria alone? It was hundreds of thousands of people. Now, these people are also undocumented because they're leaving a war zone. It's not like they have a passport. It's not like there's a lot of people tracking because people are being scattered. And and how many was it out of what was it? Kazakhstan, Jesse, 450,000? Right. Yep. And well, they use besides the wars, I mean, the natural disasters. So every time you'd have like the, you know, massive hurricanes out of Haiti, you all of a sudden have all these parents or you know, adults that end up supposedly dead. Well, what happens to all the kids? You know, they get moved from their country because they need people to take care of them. And, you know, that's where they ship them to other countries and they, they get them in the system that way. And again, you know, undocumented, no birth certificates. Um, children from our own country, you know, we, we talked about, um, you know, Jonah's story, and there's other children, literally, the courts will, you know, erase their birth certificates, and the child literally does not exist. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, because that's what they're saying about Aiden, that he doesn't exist. The other side saying he doesn't exist, that he never made the videos, he never was. And in our country, in California, especially too, they have these social service people or um, child services that work with the courts there. This guy named Rusty Krabs out there and Dooley, uh, um, Doyle, who was in charge of throwing our case too with Klausner. Um, they work directly with saying that, you know, fighting the rights of parents when child services take their children away, they're in the system. They'll never see them again. And right. it's like, that's what's happening. They've institutionalized it where they have it down to a system where they just have this highway and using the law and the corrupted courts in order to do it. Our courts are just the illusion of justice. Our courts now in these areas are no longer justice at all. They're part of big business. The attorney who threw our case that was provided, Anthony Rankin, who was the landlord of the provided wife, uh, Rebecca Northcutt, she, uh, they, he is part of that system. And he says that these judges are picked. They're corrupt. They're put there. He's mocking saying it, that, that is, these guys do their job which is child trafficking. In the immortal screenplay, as Jeff, you had, we're pointing to that, um, it shows how people are willingly giving their kids at the transport stations, the train stations, over to people in the programs so they can have a better life. They're tricked and duped into thinking they're going to have a better life. They're going right into the sex programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that goes all the way back to even kinder transport. Yes. During the Depression days, you know, they would be told that the children would get, 
you know, have jobs, have work. Um, a lot of them thought their kids were going to the factories or some of them were, but that, you know, that was an easy way for them to start accessing programming, training, the grooming those individuals. Well, see, you hit something so important. It's like what happened at Robertson's group. What they do is, and look at Jerry Falwell, what he said about the pool boy who became part of his wife's interaction. Well, Falwell is gay. He's doing interactions. He gets stimulated by watching his wife have sex with him. I know how it works. Sova said the same thing to me, Dr. Sova, who's now at Liberty University, at Falwell's University. He explained to me on the trip where he took me and basically kidnapped me without money, saying other professors would go. He's the only one that came. Don't bring money. We'll go and just play. Well, what happens is he's explaining how uh, you give jobs to your targets. So as I was brought into that sex ring, I was given a job and I'll have that job as long as I perform. So you're, it's like you're given a position, which is the cover story, and you can move up in that position if you perform, just play. So you're not really doing any work when it comes down to it. So it's supposed to be this like opportunity and this cushy life where you're simply serving sexual functions and needs. And then you're under the cover of this job that is coveted by others. And so that's how Robertson's system works. Robertson is one big sex ring connected to Disney and the FBI. And the thing is interesting that the FBI is the one really calling the shots. They're the ones I had a call from a handler contact who was offering, you know, deals and a contract to work in our, we'd all be set up pretty. But the thing is that, you know, brought into the fold. But also he's talking about how um, the FBI, not the movie moguls are in power, it's the FBI. The FBI and the CIA have no checks and balances on them, really. And so they're, they're an overgrown worm in our society that's for espionage, murder, things like this. And their operatives, when they groom you or approach you, are talking about it. They're sharing their stories about seeing little arms, piles of arms and legs in Africa, had no feeling about it, seeing the bodies, and what happens in our country where citizens, young couples, are killed and murdered in front of them. And they just like, you know, well, you know, just don't worry to make a difference. And they're excited to share these stories and keep their journals on these things. And the only time you're going to see them really reveal their journals right now until the FBI and CIA are completely revealed, and they're starting to be, is when they get a bad shake where they're going to be, uh, saw something or did something uh, about their pension and they're, they're pushed out. Then they're starting to reveal their journal. But they're still being careful about how they do it. So what happens is the FBI really and the CIA have this country in their grasp and the powers use them. And our local police are brought in. I mean, think about it. Quantico, uh, the base at Quantico in Virginia is the training ground for local police chiefs to be in the pocket and serve the FBI. Heaven help us all. And so what happens is these guys get a yellow brick. What? The Wizard of Oz? How perfect. And the, like I showed that police commissioner, like he has a yellow brick on his wall behind him, the FBI Academy flag. What's required to get into that program? A high school equivalency. Really? So they're recruiting thugs, like the one in Warrington Township. And they get a SWAT team. What? A SWAT team with SWAT helicopters that circle our homes. There's where the helicopters come from. And what do they have in Warrington Township? Shoplifters are the biggest crime. So why is a small township getting a SWAT team, brand new facility made over with holding cells and now missing, mixing the psych department in with the police department? You can rubber stamp people away on 302s. So we have no rights left. We have none. But we yeah. do have something that captivates audience. We have our faith, we have our courage, we have unity, and we have materials that really captivated the minds. And that's where the boys with all their toys are falling short. 
That's where they're no longer gods. They're no longer king of the playgrounds anymore because we're too interesting. Those of us that create material that they're fascinated over. So, so Tom, I have a I have a question for you because you know obviously you're very knowledgeable on the system. You've been dragged through it. Recruited. You brought up the, you brought up your mission as being you know we're I'm not going to stop until the kids are saved and things like that. So, but all of this comes falls into your script in so yeah. many ways. And yeah. I guess my question to you is, even having gone through the CBM thing and the Roberts thing, you didn't know about what was going on with these kids when you wrote the script. That's a great point, Jeff. But the script is like, like I say, a Pelican Brief on steroids. Pelican Brief, the one where the, um, I guess it was Julia Roberts as a character, and she just writes this brief on, you know, guessing basically, and it happened to be spot on and ends up in all this trouble. That's exactly what happened. It's like, here I'm looking at the script when I'm writing it, even the red pill idea, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of silly, but I need something to work as um, why people are, get in the program. So I said, okay, a red pill. And it's like, look at this now, what's happened with it? So yes, it's like everything ignited off it. When I'm writing it, I didn't know these things. I didn't even know a lot of the inner workings of what Robertson's plans were. I only knew a taste of it. And then I went on what I was given and there's his real plans. Simulates Christ's return, the mountain. It's, it comes out in the Toronto Star. So Jeff, it's a great point you're raising and, and a great rail you just laid and there. Think of the red pill, like in 2020, that could be added to the dictionary. Now, yeah. everybody knows red pill. Right. And literally, this year, that really happened. Yes, and the, the liquid mirrors, and the jacks of the neck, the neural link, and here's this Elon Musk who's not that bright. I'm sorry to say, he's not that bright. He's like the guy for Facebook, Zuckerman. It's like, he's not that bright. I hear him talk about what I was given in the screenplay and I'm given the ramifications, the downfalls, the good side of it and everything. And mainly it's bad. But, you know, what the implications of it are bad. Memories are erased, controlled, uh, mass inputs can be done. You know, it's horrible stuff. But here's Elon Musk on this talk show or like with this other guy from China who's not bright at all to make him look good. He doesn't even know how to describe the neural link. He doesn't even know how to talk about it. And when he talks, he doesn't come across that bright. I think he's just a plant. He's a guy that's getting credit for the work and, and fits the Hollywood bill and gets all the media attention. You know, it's like, you know, Snowden. That's okay, now I, I got to jump in here now. And I don't know how successful I'm going to be on this. But first of all, Zucker, I'm not even going to say his last name, but, you know, that guy yeah. He, he's talentless. He's, he's a Rockefeller. He was just put in the place. Right. And, and by the way, he plays with the, uh, the appropriate things to have the blackmail on him to get him into that position. Um, mm -hmm. That could be very well established. Yep. Part of the grooming. But Elon Musk is known as one of the greatest geniuses of our time. And I'm just curious if Jesse has anything to say on Elon Musk. Um. <laughs> you, you <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. Yeah. yeah, I do. I will say I do believe he is a smart person. Some of the stuff he has come up on his own. Do I think that they, um, let me put it this way. Would I say the original ideas are always his? No, mm -hmm. but he is somebody who masterfully, you know, um, his whole family line our masters with mechanics and engineering, um, you know, technical things, piecing things together 
to get them to to work in a in a certain way so very technological minded so what i see happening is that you know they come across things like you know may have been originally you know seeing your script getting the idea for the neural link but even beyond that you know that whole concept even came from angela so they take those things and they build on it you know, so it's like he could see things that it was something that Mangala had started and then coming across your script, maybe he saw this is what's needed to make it better. This is how we take it from that, you know, physical where it's like a, you know, almost like a heart valve or um, what are those uh, heart things called? I'm pacemakers. Or, yeah. I was blanking on the name. But it's like, you know, originally that mind control piece, you know, that they would implant in people's brains that Mangala made was kind of like a pacemaker for the brain. Okay. But what Elon has done with it now is he's made it so it's something that can tap in to satellites, AI, you know, it it taps in at a quantum, a light level. Um, so he's taken it to the next level. And he's blending it with many other people's technologies. But Jesse, I wanted to press you on something. So obviously, like, you know, his story, uh, had, you know, he started off as a, you know, young guy not coming from super wealth, uh, you know, is at least the, the story that's out there. Uh, he made a lot of money. He's super smart. He's made some great things. I, I can testify. He, he's a super smart guy but he probably didn't come from the Illuminati, but do you think he's maybe entered that club now? Well, that's you're asking me. I think absolutely. When I watched him, like I saw, I tried to judge from this interview and I didn't see a bright guy. I mean, really it's like when you look at the technology that's in the screenplay and it's <laughs> out and everything, you wouldn't touch it. I mean, it's really the downfalls of this, this neural link. And I'm talking about Elon Musk with neural link. It's so bad. There's so many bad things that can happen with this technology. And it, any idiot would see it. And it's like, Elon Musk could be going forward with this. It's just, you're not doing the world a service. This is going to cause a lot of problems. The neural well, he went around the world for years warning about it before he started building it, which is, I find, very interesting. Yeah, it's not, he sold out. And it's like, maybe selling out caused it to short circuit or something. But when I see him, if I was on a talk with Elon Musk, I would be like, hmm. This guy's not really home because I just, I, when you are gifted, you speak a certain way and you have a certain mannerisms, things like this. Then I see a lot of drop-offs in his thinking. Well, it's, it depends on the, on the gifts. I think he has the gift of putting things together. Maybe an organizing business or having I the think, right. I think that about. is really a strong gift. Like you know, he, he has a rocket company. He doesn't necessarily know everything about a rocket engine. Yeah, but if I put the right money, people in there to pull it off, right? If I had the money Hollywood's saying I'm supposed to have and bragging about now over a billion, I'd have a rocket company too. And I'd have the, you know, the other technology that's in here coming forward and trying to do it the right way and warning people about the what's what could go wrong and the dangers of this and what it should be. That's what I'd be doing. I wouldn't do like Elon Musk. And like he, he's like, if you're gifted and actually have the knowledge, you can explain it and bring it forward and discuss it and you'll be open about it. He will start talking about things and it's like he scratches the surface like saying if he's going to talk about a beach, if he created the beach, he'd be like there's sand and uh there's water on the other side of the sand. That's that's as far as he gets. There's no 
depth to ex- understanding. There's no depth. I can't help myself. It's like, I know all the layers that you can't shut me up. And I'm going to be like talking about all the different aspects and show after show, you know, there'll be more. Elon Musk, you can have a 10 minute sandwich and it's over. Wow. What a statement, Tom. Now I, I, I still think he's, he's definitely one of the game changers in the world. So that's okay. We can, we can, uh, we can have some disagreement on that. And by the way, I'm not saying he's a good guy. Not by any means. No, <laughs> I, say that. I don't know, to be honest. I think my opinion on him and Jesse and I have discussed this. Uh, and I think we agree, Jesse. I, I'm not sure. I think he might've started off as a black hat, let's say. And then he's talked to the people in the white hats. And I think he's kind of in the gray area. He's going to see which way is going to serve him best at the, at the end of the day. And that's my, my personal humble opinion on him. You know, it'd be really cool. I think here's a good thing I might share. It just came to me. It just felt downloaded was if I received the wealth that I've been trying to push away. Now I'd like to have it to make the difference. I want to solve this problem and get this done. If we were given what they were bragging were worth, I'd like to pursue the Neuralink too, since I'm the one that has it in my screenplay with all the things about it. Let Elon Musk do his, let me do mine. And let's see what happens. Let's I don't see. want either of them, Tom. Well, I'd like to do it to defeat it. It's like play the game to beat the game. That's what I'd like to do. I'd okay, to I will be your money. business advisor. Let's go into right. a different business with your billion dollars. Right. Well, no, I'd like, to, I'd like to, before it does all the damage, I'd like to bring it to be in a sense because Elon's going to bring it for profit and uh, he's ignoring the pages that are here that talks about all the things that could go wrong and those pages we can show another time here of like all the things that can go wrong where you can lose your memories. You can lose your attachment to society. You can be de- where you only have downloads of information being put into you by a state that wants you under a certain thinking and control. And it can be done in a mass. You could be targeted where all kinds of people are given a download that focuses on you as a target. And then all of a sudden you lost everybody, almost like inception where everyone looks and turns and looks at you a certain way. But maybe, that's, you can go on. maybe that's his real purpose. Maybe that's uh, his job and his position. That's what I'm up, you know, to raise up the army that will just mindlessly serve. Jesse, that's what I'm thinking is that he's been bought and sold. Maybe he is an intelligent guy. Maybe what I'm seeing is an intelligent guy that's bought and has been told, don't say this, don't say this, and don't say this to the public because they're just pawns and insects. Maybe that's what it is. Don't let mm. this stuff out. The reward's coming. Well, this has been an interesting discussion again today. Tuesdays with Tom, the No no Matrix Tuesdays. I think we're going to call these going forward. What a blast. So, listen, we're, we're a few days before Christmas, and about halfway through this particular broadcast, I got a feeling that I should do something and this might make you very uncomfortable, Tom. I hope it won't. I think it could produce maybe a bit of a Christmas miracle. At least it can produce a lot more joy in your life. And and by the way, you've become so much more joyous uh, from the first time we met you. You were so stressed and, you know, I think getting a lot of this stuff out has been healing. And and that's where I want to go with this. You know, we're told to pray for our enemies. Uh, Hell isn't meant for anybody. Uh, No one human 
that's for sure. And you know, with it, with Angela put out those those pictures yesterday of uh, we're going to talk about Pat Robertson, and he's basically throwing Trump under the bus, and and he's given the the devil horns. But Jesse, uh, actually, I wanted to make sure they caught him in the program because he's actually throwing Trump under the bus, and he's doing what's it called the malocleal or something like that. But he, the, but the position of the thumb has some relevance. Yeah. Tell us about that, Jesse. Yeah, so, so the normal devil horns, you've got the thumb that goes across like this. If it's behind, that's the pan sign for sex. Um, but when it's like this and tilted, it's a it's a curse. So literally, he's as he's saying these things about Trump, he is throwing out a curse on him as well. But please donate to our network. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> my goodness! There's a special place in hell for people who use God's word and things like that, according to God's word, not by my judgment, but th this is where I was going to go, Tom. Um, I think we should pray for him and the people around him. And I think it'll be healing for you. Uh, it's good for all of us to do. Uh, he's obviously far lost, but we hope that he does find true salvation and true repentance in this season would you be comfortable in leading a prayer that way tom absolutely he has yet to discover god he thinks god's a fabrication by the state mm -hmm. and a way to make money and profit and to live a great lifestyle and be famous that's you know the market of god so as yes. many of the tv guys are and the, the big church guys they're all about a whole other discussion on the 501c3s let, let me tell you yeah I mean, uh, my eyes have really been open to that this year I'd be happy to, yeah. Anytime. Father, we come before you. We lift you we thank you for the dynamic uh, creations that we are, that you've made us, that we feel, that we care, that, we, that things matter to us and that you matter most of all. That you put us in a world where we're not alone, that we share it. And that the great message is that we all come together that we all find each other to find you. And we lift this man, this man who is obviously lost and has been given great position and needs to find a light. If you can shed it to him that, that you're there and that you care about all, that he might get the message that you care about him, that he might realize that all life matters, that you care about all life, that you lift all life, that maybe he could use what resources he has left, what time he has left to actually turn around and say to the world, all life matters, that our God is great. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity to have his wrath, to have his focus, that not only that it turned his focus on me, that he might not harm as many others, but that maybe now he might see my heart too, and Jeff's heart, Jesse's, Angela's, that obviously we're told that he follows the programming that's out. So as he watches, let him know that he's actually loved and not despised, that he's actually lifted as a life, as a human being that still has potential to do the right thing. Those of us that are given the ability to do great good can also do great harm, but we can always come back to the circle and do great good. So send this man a lifeline and let him show a world in his heart that he knows that he can discover that you're actually there and uh, do a part as we all provide our pieces of the puzzle to put a picture that leads to you and to all life mattering. Amen.
Amen. Amen. That was a heartfelt, powerful prayer, Tom. Uh, so thank you for that. And I believe there's healing in that prayer for you as well, Tom. Angela, I want to thank you for joining us today. And uh, Jesse, as always, I'm so happy to have you here sharing this experience and getting this story out. Uh, your, your contribution is immense. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to leave it there. Uh, we're going to be back before Christmas in, in some form and capacity. And just want to reiterate that prayer. There's healing for even those on the other side who, who battle against God. The hell isn't meant for you. And if you're listening to this program with bad intentions, I'll just tell you, God wins. Mm -hmm. uh, God isn't a made-up fabrication. I've met him. Jesse's met him. We've met him. And by the way, you can meet him too. It's one of his promises. Not everyone gets the same experience, but knock on the door with a sincere heart, and the door will be opened. This is his guarantee. I don't have to convince you that God is real. I don't have to give you all kinds of proofs. It's his promise, and God is big. And he, he is incapable of breaking his promises. So reach out to him if you don't know him. There's a really special spirit, the heaviness of the spirit this time of year that's going around. So if you don't know him, just ask and ask in your own words. It isn't a special prayer you need to say. Just talk to him in your own words and be honest with him because he can hear your thoughts anyways. Reach out to him and, and if you want to get to know him better or if you don't know him and you decided, you know, you listen to this today and you decide to seek him out, put something in the comment box. Let us know. Let us know your name so we can remember you in our prayers as well. And we do pray for you, the entire listening audience. I want to thank you for joining Right On Radio. And in conclusion, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.